Welcome back, guys, to another episode of Unprecedented, the podcast that takes you through all the American presidents, their story, their presidency, and how history looks back at them. As always with me, the man that actually does the research and take us through these murky waters of history. Neil, how's it going? Uh, it, it's going um, It's going well. I just think that, you know, it's tough to not feel like we're in a lose-lose situation today with today's episode. Um, since Reagan, it's not an easy uh, man to cover, so um, it'll be interesting. Yeah, arguably the uh, president. Like, well, Reagan, pretty much <laughs> almost quicker than Teddy Roosevelt, which is one of my favorites. And some somewhat of a patron saint to many modern Republicans, uh, even if we could argue that they have shifted towards somebody in Mar-a-Lago. So, Neil, is it true that you're trying to do a two-parter again? Yeah, uh, it is because Ronald Reagan, I mean, whatever you want to say about him, like in how you agree, you know, policy-wise, he is such a important figure in American politics. I mean, you can make the case he might be like the most second most important figure after FDR. And so I think it's important to really explore, you know, him and kind of the changes he creates in this country. And yeah, we're going to definitely do a two-parter here. That sounds amazing. I, I, I enjoyed the, la the last time we did a two-parter. It was two episodes ago. But a quick recap. Last time we left you off with uh, Hoover in uh, 1928. So we've jumped forward roughly 50 years into the future. We're now in 1980, and usually I do like a quick summary of what happened, or maybe just a few highlights, but Neil found it hard to summarize Regan. That's why we're doing two parts. I also found it hard to summarize the 1980s. So much happened during that time. I found myself like at a buffet with a full plate and then stumbling upon my favorite meal and now regretting what I had in my plate already. So I was deleting and adding and deleting and adding it to the list. But without, you know, furthermore, the year is 1980. The Canadian caper occurred. Six Americans, diplomats, escape Iran, guised as Canadians, a hiring event that was literally depicted in the Academy Award winning picture Argo, directed by Ben Affleck. The 13th Winter Olympic Open in New York City. Jimmy Carter, our president, declared that the United States will not be participating in the Summer Olympics, along with 66 other countries boycotting them due to the Afghan-Soviet war. Unemployment rate is at an all-time high with 7.8%. The Unabomber is attacking our nation. John Lennon is shot and killed in New York. The Iran embassy standoff is still going. And finally, Ronald Reagan defeats Jimmy Carter in becoming the 40th president of the United States. With that, Neil, how about you start taking us down memory lane with Ronald Reagan? Yeah, I was I was hoping that you would mention the John Lennon one. That was the the one that I that that stood out to me the most in thinking about John in 1980. Yeah. Actually, I think you know these episodes about Ronald Reagan will be the most challenging ones that we take on, and and that's because his presidency is absolutely you know central to what a lot of the country embodies of itself still today. You know, you might have expected me to just say he's central to only the Republican Party. But I think that, you know, left-leaning people are not reminded enough that Reagan won both of his presidential elections by almost unprecedented margins. You know, no one else has a record of beating an incumbent president in, in Jimmy Carter. And by the margin that he did, and then followed that up in the next election by winning an even uh, wider landslide 
49 of 50 states in 1984 that he won. Besides FDR, you know, no one really has had that kind of dominance in two straight elections. And so the country truly united around him as a candidate. Um, so much that we got three straight Republican administrations during a time that the House of Representatives was not once Republican controlled. In fact, you know, what's even more interesting um, is that half is that, you know, from the 1933 to 1995, there were only two congressional cycles, meaning like two like runs of two years. Um, and from 1947, 1949, and then 53 to 55, where Republicans held majorities in the House. That's it. And that's the same case with the Senate, except in the Reagan presidential years. So you know, um, where the Senate flipped to Republican control exclusively in the Reagan presidency and went back to Democratic control when George H.W. Bush was elected after Reagan. I, I feel like you obviously you're going to get to it, uh, but it, it is my duty to interrupt and, and get, earn my paycheck during this podcast. Um, when he came into the picture, would you say he changed not only the face of the Republicans, but how the party was going during those years? Or was he what was bubbling up to the service and he was just like the lightning rod? Oof. I mean, I guess, I guess what was, I mean, he was like the lightning rod in some ways. But I think, you know, throughout this episode, we're going to start to see how he you know, became, I mean, he started the whole bubbling up of the surface as well, along with like figures like Nixon and Goldwater in the 1960s. But Reagan is very much still like in the creation of this new Republican Party before he's even president. Um, and so he's, yeah, he's very much responsible in crafting what we know as a Republican Party today. And again, it's not just from his presidency, it's really from his political rise, which We'll get into some parts into today. And, you know, I'm, I'm emphasizing all this right now because, you know, there's a myth that bugs me when I hear politicians today talk or, or even just people who casually say things about how most people feel politically. And that is, you know, the median person in this country has really always been right leaning in policy. You know, just, just factually speaking, you know, that cannot be the case when you had the left leaning party, you know, the Democratic Party controlling Congress through almost the entirety of the 20th century. Um, and then there's, you know, there's also the fact that a Republican presidential candidate has won the popular vote just one time since 1988. Um, you know, yeah, you know, Bush and Trump, you know, they both won the Electoral College in 2000 and 2016, but um, not the popular vote. So, you know, the popularity that the Republican Party has recently enjoyed in Congress, especially, um, you know, just recently is actually very new and distinct. They controlled the House of Representatives from 1995 to 2007, and then again in, in 2011 to 2017. And so they and they also held the Senate for large parts, you know, post-1995, as well as at the end of the Bush presidency and, and again at the end of the Obama presidency. So there has to be a reason for the shift recently played for or recently for Republican congressional candidates to become way more favorable to Americans than they once were. I think it's fitting that this is where we introduce Ronald Reagan in this episode, um, you know, just as an entryway here, because without him, Republicans do not have an identity today that, you know, ever makes them a more dominant winning coalition. And, you know, we start to see the winning formula of Reagan's transformation of the Republican Party come to fruition just, you know, a few years after he leaves office with the 1994 midterms. And this is like known as the Republican Revolution. Um, this is where the Republican Party won back the majority in the House and the Senate for the first time in 40 years. And it's all built on this, you know, anti-quit and, and pro-Reagan embrace of, of trickle-down economics. And, you know, that cutting tax, yeah, cutting taxes across the board and, 
economic regulations while also uh, decreasing funding for social welfare programs and emphasizing that you know they were rewarding people who are undeserving of social services because it incentivizes people to be less economically productive and to stay unemployed. You know that became the bread and butter of economic policy for the Republican Party that it still embraces today in a lot of ways. And again, it blossoms out of the Reagan presidential era. So yeah, I feel like we could do an entire podcast that would take seasons mm -hmm. to fully dissolve or explore what trickle down economics has really done for our country and how at times short-sighted it is and at other times it's kind of genius but <laughs> not <laughs> so yeah. it's a very complex economical structure or economical theory yeah. that has been just widely accepted like the just this prophecy essentially that Reagan and his courts did to the, the entire country yeah I mean it's a winning it's a winning message even you know as recently as 2017 we just had you know in the big legislation that passed in the previous administration was a big tax cut you know and, and it hasn't it's still very relevant today and everything so You know, whether you agree with those economic policies or, or our characterization of them, you know, there's no uh, doubt that Reagan cultivates a distinguished value system in the Republican Party that sticks. You know, even yeah. socially, he changed the nature of the party. You know, he was the first president to be endorsed by the NRA, the National Rifle Association. He escalated the war on drugs and emphasized law and order to, you know, continue Nixon's famous campaign trademark. So you find the seeds of the party today all in him just as much as you find the seeds of the Democratic Party in, in FDR. And so most people on the left probably do not think, you know, Reagan should be compared to FDR. But to me, it, it makes complete sense. Um, you know, we've covered a lot of presidents now that um, where we've noted that during their presidencies, you know, the Democratic and Republican parties are pretty indistinguishable. Um, you know, FDR and Reagan really changed that, though, and, and that may be why elections today are so divided and extremely close, um, at least electorally. You know, um, you're getting what you're getting. Sorry, you know what you're getting out of a Republican candidate and a Democratic candidate for the most part. So, yeah. you know, we're, we're going to use Reagan's episodes to see how he was able to do it and essentially become, you know, the Republican godfather of our modern politics. So first, you know, I think it's important to explore in, in this episode in particular how Reagan became, you know, the most influential conservative politician in our history in the first place. You know, if you look at his background growing up and into much of his early adult life, it's, it's very hard to imagine how he could make the jump to being the kind of politician he was. Um, he was born into a family of Democrats, all who were all like supportive of FDR and his New Deal policies. Um, you know, Reagan himself was a huge fan of, of FDR growing up, so much so that like when he was in college, he would imitate FDR's fireside chats to other students. Um, and his dad got the local director role in 1932 for the newly created Works Progress Administration, uh, which was a New Deal program that was meant to provide work for unemployed Americans. And so there really is nothing in the story in his early life that leads him into conservative thinking, which makes this all the more ironic. Um, and so Reagan, you know, grew up in, in rural areas in northern Illinois and goes to school in Illinois at Eureka College. And at this point in Reagan's life, it's probably most easy to understand him as what you would think is a typical jock who lived for extracurricular activities rather than like schoolwork itself. You know, he played football and basketball in high school and continued with football and, and also was on the swim team in college. And 
He was also very heavily involved with reporting in the school newspaper. Um, he was in drama club in college. He was the editor of the college yearbook. Clearly, you know, he was a very, you know, social, popular kid um, by all accounts. But, you know, when he graduates from Eureka, he pursues a career in radio as a sports announcer. Um, and so his yeah, his career actually starts in Iowa, of all places, um, where he's able to quickly work his way into a, a popular station in Des Moines, where he did announcements for the Chicago Cubs and football games for the Big Ten Conference, which which hits close to home. Go Buckeyes. <laughs> so could you could you say that he has always from childhood showcased a need to be heard or be in the public eye? Yeah, I mean, I you know, it's hard to like know if that was his goal from from high school onward or whatever but definitely yeah, but you, you don't you don't go into radio if you don't want to be heard by anybody like yeah. arguably we're doing this podcast like so i can't throw a stone that far away uh without shattering a glass but <laughs> you said that you know he was in drama club so it's probably was doing theater and he was so he was mm. being in front of audiences and he probably got some 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 value out of being in that spotlight. Obviously, he went into radio, so you can say that he's been sh he continually is going to chase that uh, adoration or that attention from outside because of because we know I mean spoiler alert he's going to be an actor and then he's going to be a president. But would you think that he is one of the I don't want to say the first because we haven't co covered all of them, but one of the more transparent ones in terms of because politicians nowadays aren't shy about wanting to be almost like a celebrity yeah um so would you say that regan is one of the most like that that almost creating that line between wanting to be a public servant and wanting to be a celebrity yeah you know that's a that's a great question i don't know if he ever so right i think the celebrity portion of his ambitions was way more um important to him probably than his um public servant portion of it I mean, at this time, he doesn't really have any sort of political ambitions. He wasn't like, you know, a, a breakout student. I think in college, he majored in economics, but he was just like a C student, again, by all accounts. So, like, he really was just trying to make his break, like you said, like, into into some sort of role that, like, yeah, he could have attention in some ways. You know, like, being in radio was the, the biggest thing to be in, in the 30s. You know, it was yeah. kind of like before, like, film really took off even. And so... Yeah, yeah, that's that's a good point because I mean, there's not really other ways for presidents before him to kind of break out in their careers. That you know, to become famous is is like different today than it was you know in yeah. 1900. You know, and so now yeah. you just have to have like a whippy hot take on Twitter <laughs> right. and build a following that way. Every time something happens, just have like a hot take ready to go, and then people are like yes. That's yeah. our that's our that's our voice right there. You instantly become famous as a politician, at least. I know, and and that's I think that's what's creating more. You know, I, I don't want to say odd presidential candidates. It's just like unqualified presidential yeah. candidates. I'm not saying that Reagan was completely unqualified. I'm not trying to make that comparison, but you know, you have like. I mean, I, I I bet like someone like Jake Paul is going to run for president one day, and you have you know yeah everybody wants it. yeah everybody wants the rock <laughs> to run right. for president because he's just popular. It's like that's not the point of but you know whatever. Wait. Yeah, so so Let's Reagan go back could to be like an early yeah, he could be like an early like influencer in this sort of, ooh, I can be president. Reagan was president, mm. you know. 
he's just a, he's just an actor and then he's just decided you know if you can achieve fame you can potentially become president if you know how to translate that into effective I mean, yeah that even uh schwarzenegger wasn't shy about saying that yes. Reagan was one of his inspirations right right and he kind of follows a similar sort of playbook right i mean he's just not he's not famous for being governor and i mean reagan i guess now is famous for being president but definitely wasn't the case when he was making his way into politics um and so you know after years of success with radio you know reagan then made his move to acting when warner brothers offered him a seven-year contract in 1937 uh when he did a screen test for the company reagan's career from here really takes off as he appears in over 50 movies for the next 20 years you know some of the most notable ones being you know king's row dark victory and i think this is nut rockney have you seen any of these movies you I've actually had before closing down the website. I wanted to do a Regan marathon almost, and mm. just explored like his big best hits. But his movies are like you know critically acclaimed to the point that I was like, "Ooh, I have to explore it." But that was kind of like a vanity project that I had in the back of my head. But no, wow. I haven't explored them yet. That would have been fun. That would have been fun. Yeah, because yeah. I don't. I always see like Regan talking when he's like you know really like much older, and he looks pretty young like in these pictures in these movies. So it'd actually be pretty interesting. <laughs> Um, I'm, I've also never seen any of these movies, but, and, and I don't think I've ever seen a Reagan movie in general, but it sounds like he was a solid actor for the time. And in the middle of his career, World War II breaks out for the U.S. And so since he was already in Army Reserve, you know, he was ordered to take part in active duty in 1942, um, but he didn't ever actually fight overseas. Um, and that was due, you know, he it was a kind of that he had terrible eyesight. And so he, he really would have been a liability on the battlefield. But he did serve a critical role in, in public relations. And so he served posts in San Francisco and New York during um, you know, World War II period where he would take part in acting and training videos across you know, all branches of the military. Um, and so, yeah, he, he serves us out. You know, he, he's, he's actually like a very prominent figure in the military and that, you know, people are kind of like always seeing him when they're kind of going through, you know, basic training and things like that. This is kind of the position he takes all the way until the war ends in 1945. It's probably also important to note that Reagan marries his first wife, Jane Weinman, who is also an actor in, in 1940. And all the time, you know, while Reagan is in the army, you know, Weinman's acting profile takes off. And she's she's actually nominated for her first Academy Award nomination in 1946 with the film Yearling and then wins an Academy Award in 1948 in the film Johnny Belinda, which both films I haven't seen, but... Um, you know, oddly enough, Reagan, her divorce in that same year that she wins an Academy Award. So so just noting that, that he at this point is already married and divorced. And so, so far, though, there's still no, no, no signs that Reagan has turned to conservatism throughout this period. Um, he supported FDR in all of his election runs. And he also supported, you know, Democrat Harry Truman in his election in 1948. He even appears on stage with him at a rally. But we're reaching the point now where we can finally, like, see the process of Reagan turning away from the Democratic Party. You know, it happened somewhat slowly throughout the decade of the 1950s. Well, Reagan at this point had now that he didn't have a lot of growing up was money. And there's also the... <laughs> he was he's also president of the Screen Actors Guild, which is just kind of like a segue away from that. But again, this was all out throughout like the late 40s and the early 1950s. And the, like the Screen Actors Guild is essentially like the main union for actors and negotiating terms and conditions for contracts um, and for, for contracts with production companies. So 
ironically, Reagan is a huge reason actually why actors get residual payments for their films when he helps negotiate those terms in 1960 with producers. And obviously being someone who leads a collective bargaining effort to help, you know, less well-off actors get better terms for pay is actually like a quite progressive thing to do. Something that sadly has deteriorated due to the digital age. So yeah. now Netflix, Prime, Hulu, and all those, and HBO Max. Don't pay the residuals? They do not pay residuals because there is no such thing as syndication. Syndication is when the actors actually get residual money. Um, when you see the Seinfelds on TBS and CBS or, you know, your local yeah. channels, they create a new contract. And from that new contract, they actually get paid. On Netflix, there's no such thing as that. Uh, so, yeah, that's kind of sad. Ah, I didn't know that. Dang, that is sad. All right. Well, someone needs to go back to the negotiating board then. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but Reagan, though, at this time is falling more in love with the the power of big business and the aligned interests he started to recognize he had, you know, with with their motives. So in the 1950s, you know, the average tax rate of the top, you know, 0.01% of highest income individuals was actually 55.3%. You know, today it's it's 39%. So, you know, the wealthy were truly being taxed a lot more during this time. And that, that's something that Reagan hated. And there's also the aspect that, you know, as president of the Screen Actors Guild, uh, he also was heavily involved in, in helping the FBI and find communist sympathizers uh, in the late 40s and 50s. You know, the Red wow. Scare was in full effect post-World War II. You know, there's this time when like the U.S. and the USSR were the dominant countries that emerged out of World War II. And so the U.S. had a tactic of establishing communism as enemy number one, you know, domestically and internationally to stop the USSR from becoming more influential. So, you know, this led to government employees as well as those working in Hollywood to be investigated for any kind of positions they had that were sympathetic to communism or socialist beliefs. So, And that was like the second second coming of the Salem witch trials, essentially, because just right. like in the just like in Salem, they utilized this wave of fear and high panic to get rid of people that they either didn't like or were in the way of their success. Like very few of them actually ended up being, you know, communist or spies or whatever you want to call them. Mm -hmm. The rest were just blackballed for having progressive ideas and they were essentially exiled from the country. Yeah, definitely a time that I definitely need to, to read up on more. I don't really have a lot of, um, yeah, like context into this, but I mean, Reagan's role is, is actually pretty fascinating. He was an influential role in his effort working as an informant for the FBI to give names of Hollywood contacts that he believed were either communists themselves or open to communist ideology. This era of the Red Scare is, is one of the first movements that somewhat distinguishes the, the Republican Party away from Democrats. You know, even though Truman was heavily involved in formulating this policy agenda, Eisenhower and, and Nixon, his vice president, are you know, even greater champions of it in their administration. And it creates this notion slash idea that people in the government cannot be trusted. And Reagan especially starts to adopt that spirit um, in how he thinks of the federal government. Um, he takes a job at a General Electric in 1954 as he's struggling to obtain more acting roles and, and hosts General Electric Theater, a weekly TV show um, where he's required to travel to GE plants across the country to give motivational uh, speeches to hundreds of thousands of workers. So um, it's there that he meets, you know, GE executives who somewhat indoctrinate him into like the core values of, 
big business, you know, free markets, lower taxes, and limited government. Um, and the government programs that were abundant in the 1950s because of the, you know, more progressive tax system became, you know, the enemy side by side with communists to Reagan. Um, as he started to link the expansion of government that was taking place at the time as a move towards a country that would become communist and destroy, you know, all individual freedoms if government expansion continued at the pace that it was, you know, going. This leads him to supporting Nixon in the 1960, sorry, 1960 election against JFK and officially registering himself as a Republican in 1962. How old was he at this point? He's born in 1917. So he's actually, um, I think, yeah, he's 45 years old. But hmm. I mean, again, for being the figure that he is, he doesn't he's actually- He's having like a midlife crisis. <laughs> That's actually his a good mid, about it. <laughs> His midlife crisis was turned into the Republican side. Yeah. Yeah, it kind of feels very like, I don't know. I feel like there's a lot of Star Wars analogies that we can just go into with this one. Like, <laughs> but I, I won't go there. It's, it's too cheesy. Um, so now, you know, we have Reagan, uh, the politician from this point onward. You know, he no longer is the president of the Act Screen Actors Guild. Uh, his acting career is pretty much over at this point. And again, he, he's kind of fully, you know, into what the conservative movement is offering at this time. And it's being somewhat reborn um, you know, at the time that he's really getting into it um, in the midst of the civil rights movement. You know, Reagan's first jump into mainstream politics comes in the 1964 general election between LBJ and Barry Goldwater as he endorses Goldwater for president and gets his first taste of the limelight in politics with his A Time for Choosing speech just days before the 1964 election. And so this speech catapults Reagan's political career and it's, it's sort of an introduction into his communication style that he, you know, very effectively uses to win over voters. You know, what really makes him so primed to be a politician is the way that he's able to use, you know, his like trained voice from his acting and radio days to find a, a genuine and actually like, you know, convincing tone. He arguably is, is the most effective orator of all American presidents. And, and this speech in particular really becomes a standout speech of the Goldwater campaign. So I'm just going to read a brief part of it here. And in the speech, you know, he revealed his ideological motivation, essentially. He said, like, the founding fathers knew a government can't control the economy without controlling people. And they knew when a government sets out to do that, it must use force and coercion to achieve its purpose, to achieve its purpose. So we have a time for choosing for that. And then he also says, you know, you and I are told we must choose between a left or right. But I suggest there's no such thing as a left or right. There's only an up or down. It's up, uh, up to man old Man, sorry, this is um, butchering this. Up to man's age-old dream, the maximum of individual freedom consistent with law and order, or down to the ant heap of totali totalitarianism. Even though I kind of butchered that reading, this is a pretty big contrast to what LBJ is promoting at the time with his programs that he's calling the Great Society. Reagan detests the policy agenda of Johnson as he's firmly against programs like Medicare and Social Security, um, and makes the case that if the government can decide what health care you have and, you know, how much you have to save for retirement, it will lead to the government taking the steps of deciding what schools people will go to and, and what people will actually do for a living. Um, you know, obviously, that's a pretty dramatic jump there, but he was very effective at capturing the imagination of people's fears and using them to promote conservative principles. It's so effective that we have a whole, you know, 24 hours news network today that like solely decides to cover news just like that in, in Fox News. So 
Um, yeah. Oh, just not just not Fox News. Like everybody, like the twenty four yeah. hour, <clears throat> arguably the twenty four hour news cycle is one of the reasons why journalism <clears throat> has gone by the way. I don't know. There, I I don't want to say one hundred percent because there is still some very impactful and meaningful journalism happening nowadays. But I would say ninety percent of it is essentially just fear mongering and biting for views instead of actually covering news as it as they should. Yeah, and, and I'm that's say, every single news. Like I'm not saying yeah. Fox News. I'm not saying CNN. I'm saying like every single one. It is yeah. caught up in that cycle of profit over actually yeah. delivering news. I mean, you can kind of see in the introduction of like if you like watch the NBC News, like um, just like general news tonight or something. I forget. Um, like with like um, is it last name Gumble or whatever? But he like mm-hmm. kind of introduces just. Tonight, we're like it's just like a very fear like introduction. I mean, <laughs> like, yeah, that's like the classic stories. joke of very are your kids dying in the cafeteria? Find out tonight at 10. Right, right. Every single one is like that, but yeah. Yeah, I will I will give a little, you know, I'm just gonna take a little like nudge at Fox News and that they they kind of like more so I would say popularize this. I know local stations kind of like you know popularize like just bad stories for, for more um you know, views in that sense but in, in the 24 7 cycle nature of it we've definitely like gone off the rails in terms of you know what people can do in like gripping on to like people's worst fears and what they think the worst case scenarios to be so reagan has a, again a big effect in kind of um popularizing the style of communication you know as we covered in the lbj episode you know, Goldwater gets destroyed in this election, and which means Reagan isn't going to get, you know, any kind of political appointment for the White House and, and siding with the losing candidate. So for a short time in this period, you know, Reagan is not seen as a legitimate political force yet because Goldwater was, you know, such an extremist candidate. Um, in the 1960s, being anti-government was, you know, one of the least popular things you could be, you know, even the Republican Party. Uh, Eisenhower's Republican administration in the 1950s continued, you know, a, the trend of federal expansion and spending and programs. And people were really benefiting from social programs, you know, such as the GI Bill and, and Social Security. Goldwater was also anti-civil rights and a Southern segregationist supporter. So when Reagan announced in 1965 he was running for the governor of California, you know, no one thought he had a chance of winning. And so Reagan's motivation in running for governor was that he needed a significant significant office to become president, to need to hold one. Um, And there was no doubt in anyone's minds now at this point, um, his future goal was to be president, you know, with his fierce campaigning in the national arena. A conservative Republican winning the governorship of California, you know, even in the 1960s was a a tough thing to believe that could happen, you know. Uh, Reagan was... Severely underestimated, though, because his acting career and, and familiar, familiarity with, you know, the California lifestyle allowed him to capture the perception of someone who was just a typical person who wanted life to be you know, orderly and, and pleasant. You know, mm-hmm. protests were becoming even more rampant from the tragedies that were happening in, in Vietnam. And Reagan was starting to see how he could attract voters who wanted the nation to go back to a more, again, like orderly and, and tidy shared sense of cohesion that wasn't there, you know, in the 60s as much as, you know, what people thought of in previous decades. And so he cast protesters as, you know, the undeserving social welfare, and he used the word bums that that use government safety nets to to have the time to protest all day. 
and promised that he would take a, you know more decisive action to end protests and and cut these programs so that more of these people would go back to work. I'm putting quotations there. And so his opponent, Pat Brown, had you know one two consecutive terms as governor, uh, even beating Nixon in 1962 for the governor race. Um, and so he did not expect you know how many people would be drawn to Reagan's messaging of anti-government spending and also overlooked Reagan's talent for, you know, self-deprecating humor that made him seem more of like an everyday common man than a politician. And so Reagan actually beats Brown handedly and officially like makes his transition into national politics fully. And this is kind of in the timeline where I want to stop, but we can get into more conversation because it, it really is, I feel like it's emblematic of the ways that the, our 2016 presidential candidate was underestimated in some sense. <laughs> Um, yeah, it's, it's the base that you're essentially creating for Reagan is the left, the, his political adversaries assume that people would be asking for his resume and not actually listening to him talk. And then when he actually, he got on the page, he was a salesman, essentially, like he worked his entire life on how to sell himself sell the idea or sell the performance that he was giving like he built essentially the character he he was playing a politician like somebody gave him a script and he's saying like you're now playing this type of politician and him as an actor fully mm -hmm. embraced the role and became that politician and sold yeah. it to the people so yes. it is hilarious now being how people didn't learn that lesson or essentially the the, the left Like they didn't learn from watching Regan spell uh, an idea. And now 2016, in comes another charismatic actor because he's essentially an actor, a reality TV show actor, but still right. an actor. And then they go like, oh, he can never convince anybody. Like, yeah, he's going to act in, in that stadium, in that podium and sell the idea that he is this politician. Like he's... Essentially, he pretty much followed the blueprint because he Trump was also a Democrat for a long time, yeah. and then switched over when. Great point. You know, so it's it is very similar to see the the trajectory of both of them and how both were underestimated. Yeah. Because of their trajectory. Yeah, I mean, it it is. Yeah, I, I think that, that that is again just such a, a great point, and you know you don't really see that as much. I mean, I don't really know if we have like a democratic example of that, but I think it, it really goes into like what we see in like modern day sort of like selling of campaigns. Is that like you know I don't see like people dive. I mean, I, I see like Democrats a lot like want to dive into like issues and talk about policy but like people don't really want to like dive into like the complications of policy they want to feel good about like what they think i think that that's like sort of how these communication styles are developing within each party is that like like obama even himself didn't really like try to communicate in like a policy oriented way i mean he really was trying to sell a message of like hope you know and yeah like, we can do it essentially exactly exactly and how? so but how how are you going to do it no we can do it We can do it. Don't worry about it. We can do it. We we're gonna rally around everybody, and we're gonna do it. But you know, but how? No, we universal health care for everybody, better jobs for everybody. How? Yeah. And that's essentially what what Trump did. Bush before him, Biden is doing it now. Like, oh, we're gonna do it. We're gonna do it. Uh, yeah, Biden. I mean, Biden had a, a a bit of a unique 
path to the presidency. I would. I mean, if we, yeah, ever I mean do a, if we ever do a Biden episode. I think he's a very interesting case study for his. But campaign. he would be yeah. a huge episode though, since he was he's a career politician, so he has had. Yeah, he's like a Monroe. A lot of stumbles and a lot of ups and downs yeah. uh, throughout his presidential career. But circling back to Reagan, I have always found it fascinating when one there are moments in your life that really showcase your character and who you are as a human being. Obviously we all have evolved. And, and if like you said from 10 years ago, we'd be doing this podcast, I would probably be a little bit more, you know, edgy or trying to sound more intelligent than I am, which I'm not, um, which I'm, you know, more grounded as a human being, but there are still moments in my life that I would repeat easily because mm -hmm. that's true to my character. And it's hilarious that you, that he is, that he was an FBI informant on his peers, on his colleagues, um, essentially feeding um, into that fear-mongering aspect of our nation. Something right. that, you know, spoiler alert, he did running for California, like saying that all those protesters essentially that are going against the grain of what our society deems as correct are, you know, bums. Are, are ruining our country and flaming those, you know, sorry, stoking those flames of, of that hate towards the hippies that were trying to say, hey, maybe this war is not good. We're, okay. we're wrong. Right. We're, wrong we're, we're on the wrong side of history. But he was feeding into that fear mongering aspect that that society had towards him. And then he would later on do that, you know, spoiler alerts for part two when we're talking about this presidential run. Yeah. But that war on drugs is essentially also that fear-mongering aspect of him that yeah. was showcased when he was just an actor. So yeah, it is it is it is interesting when we're doing these types of episodes, seeing those moments that would ultimately define them as a human being. Yeah, it's upsetting because and I don't want to like, you know, cast a conclusion about Reagan yet. There's still a lot about him to talk about, but you know, he grows up like in this such like a typical, you know, American dream sort of way, you know, he didn't grow up rich, he grew up pretty poor somewhat and rose to be like this act, you know, this person that where the nation pretty much gave him everything he could have wanted, you know, like he, I mean, on top of the world, more so than anyone else in their life will ever be in terms of like wealth and status and fame. And like, maybe those things aren't like, shouldn't be cast as like, as important as like what I'm suggesting it is right now. Like, that's not important, but it's what he wanted is what I mean. And so to not have like a kind of appreciation for like the structure of the country that allowed him to become that and for like the sacrifice that like people will have to go through in order to like see people with extreme wealth like inherit or really just have all this money while other people you know aren't able to like you know make you know a fraction or percentage of what some people make and so they need these safety nets yeah, you know, I mean, like the, the, the just full like lack of understanding when you come from, you know, a position in society that isn't, you know, well off, at least like Trump has the excuse of being born into wealth, you know, um, if we want to talk about his politics, you know, and so like, yeah, that's just kind of what was a disappointing I, I guess. mean, obviously, we can't we can't do a one to one comparison, but mm -hmm. we can see um Lyndon, how he grew up in that, you know, poor town and he worked with, you know, uh, immigrants and poor people in that small school. And you can see how that influenced his policymaking down the line. So it, it is it is kind of not shocking, but mm -hmm. funny, I guess, or ironic, depending on how you want to look at it, how somebody can grow up and 
gain that wealth that Hollywood presented and then turn on his upbringing. Yeah, yeah. And so, yeah, I mean, it, it really shows I mean, at the same time, like he establishes a whole new brand and like really distinguishes the Republican Party and what it is today. Um, but I mean, again, as we transition into part two, I mean, I think like the emphasis that like I want to make on like, you know, Ronald Reagan being so influential is that, you know, making the Republican Party like a, again, like a winning coalition in, this, in the same sense that like Democrats were throughout a lot of the 20th century, it takes like decades of like seed planting and work and like kind of like giving people like this like early idea of like people being undeserving. And so you know, we'll start to see how, like, you know, his communication style and, like, you know, the way that he campaigns and tries to convince voters to vote for him will lead to actual policy in his administration and even in preceding administrations with, you know, Clinton, for example, um, with his crime bill in 1994. And so there's just a lot, it's a lot here to tackle with Reagan. And so that's why it's definitely a needed two-parter now. Yeah, and it's something that you can see I wouldn't even say Clinton only right. every single politician now you utilizes to the to the extreme to the point that it becomes so obvious at least for me and annoying that you know that those sound bites those words those very every single one even even the networks even the newspapers use those specific words that that president or that politician is using in the Reagan days of California it would have been bums right he, he right. called them bums right. So every single politician would refer to them, bum, constantly mentioning that word, planting, like you said, the seeds mm -hmm. and to the point that it becomes normalized. And then somebody's at the dinner table just regurgitating yeah. those talking points. I've been, sadly, I've been around, <clears throat> I've I probably fallen prey to it because it's in, in, uh, inedible because I'm I'm a human being. But I've been around people and I just hear literally the same talking points that I've been hearing constantly from politicians regurgitated towards me. And I go, and it's shocking to hear the same talking points. Yeah. You know, you know, it's not a it's not an original idea. And again, <clears throat> I'm not claiming that I have an original ideas. Nobody has original ideas. Everything has been thought, everything has been said, everything has been done. There's nothing original about this world. But <laughs> hearing out uh, hearing the same. Oh, they are a bum yeah. using Regan's words said back to you in the real world when it's not a politician. It is shocking. And it's, yeah. it is. But huh. but that's that is the plan. That is the design to just put that word 100 percent in the head of the public. So they believe what you're saying. So they're like, oh, yes, let's get rid of the bums. Yeah, contrast is a day with like, you know, using the word thug to describe, you know, black people who protest. It's the same. You know, you just. Yeah, it, yep. it's the same sort of idea there, and like communication. Yeah, strategy. rioters. They're rioters. So, if if right. they're doing a peaceful profit, they're, they, right. no, they're rioters. Antifa, oh, yeah. like you know, something like you know, I don't. It's, it's just. Oh, and even and even the in the left using like everything is a proud boy now. Like yeah. no, maybe he's just you know a preppy boy from down the street that didn't like what you. No, he's a proud boy. Oh no, he's Antifa, or it's just the same. You know. Yeah. Yeah. We're we're getting too political on this. Podcast. We are getting pretty. This is a pretty political no, for us. We, should, we shouldn't. We shouldn't. We should. We're we're neutral. We're a neutral party here. <laughs> we're just stating the facts. What is happening in this podcast? I don't know. We want to. It's gonna. It, I think when it gets more modern, it gets a little bit more. Yeah. Uh, right. You can't. You can't create a that. Yeah. I've been looking at the it's other presidents like like a 
like a like a movie. I'm just analyzing a movie outside of me. But this one hits too close. That's right. I right. think that's what is happening right now. Right, right. So I mean, I think I forget what the next one is, but it's like someone in like the 1800s. So we'll be back to just like you know. Yes, yes. Yeah. Stick it. Stick with us, guys. I hope you like the Hoover episode and the James Monroe. Those were very apolitical podcasts, <laughs> right? Which is our goal, one hundred percent. Please believe us. All right, Neil, uh, is this episode done, or you want to? I think I, I think we can stop here. This was a good, yeah. I think this is a good introduction to Reagan because I've learned, I wanted to separate, you know, his rise and then like his actions in office and sort of like a again another recap of what his actions kind of lead to into today. So. We'll get into more like, you know, his governorship and then his rise to the presidency after that and then his presidency itself. So um, next episode will be a lot more like, you know, policy related and more event related in terms of, you know, what our country does during, you know, the 80s and itself. So, yeah. An extremely apolitical promise. <laughs> Thank you for listening. Thank you for subscribing, liking, sharing. Uh, this this podcast has been a blast to, to produce, to record, to edit and publish. Uh, please tell Neil what he missed, especially with Regan. I think like a lot of people yeah. have opinions. So what did he miss in his upbringing? And please look forward to part two where things are going to get spicy with trickle down economics, Oof. war on drugs and the fall of the Berlin Wall. <laughs> so there is a lot to cover with Regan. See you guys next week. Well, two weeks. Bye. Bye.